It's Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Show number 23 brought to you by show number 325. I'll be with you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and all state insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, the Sixers are cruising along in first place. The Flyers playing good hockey. They're in first place. The Phils have JT, now Didi back in the fold, along with a few other arms. And we've heard from New Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni about his player expectations going into 2021. And yes, the Super Bowl week, we're going to cover it all. But unfortunately, Chad, it just seems like every week we have to talk about someone passing away. And we lost a Philly sports legend this week in Temple Hoops coach John Chaney. Yeah, one of the best. Uh, John Chaney losing his life last Friday, 89 years old. Great coach and by all accounts, a great man as well. So we'll touch on that, that a little bit later as well, Bill. Uh, lots to talk about in the second half of the show, but we got something pretty special and pretty cool happening in the first half. And since he's here and just about ready to go, let's get right to it. Here's the deal, Bill. Last summer, I asked WIP's Glenn Mack now if you and I could well, borrow his Tell Us Your Story segment, the one that he and Ray Dinger have been doing on WIP pretty much every weekend since last March. I asked if we could borrow that for a couple of segments, one with Ray and then one with Glenn. We did one several months back with Ray Diddy, and now we're happy to say it is Glenn's turn. So with that, let's welcome Glenn Macnow back to Philly Press Box Radio. Glenn, welcome. Hey, guys. Nice to see you. Hello, Glenn. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Uh, so many Philly sports fans listen to you and Ray every weekend on WIP. I mean, it's appointment radio for me every weekend, but we figured not everybody knows how you ended up in Philly and the many other things that you are involved with. You're a very busy guy. So let's get to some of that. We'll cover as much ground as we possibly can. Sound good? Sure. Ready to go. All right. Here we go. Most people, Glenn, I'm sure know that you grew up in Buffalo. You've talked about that quite often. Is it true you were actually born in New York City? And at what age did you end up in Buffalo? Yeah, I was born in New York City. Uh, my father um, worked on Madison Avenue. He was a young guy in um, gray. He was a graphic artist working for an ad agency. And when I was a newborn, they bought a house on Long Island. And my father would leave to go to work before his kids were awake and get home on the Long Island Railroad after his kids were asleep and he decided that wasn't working for him and it wasn't working for us. He went to a job fair uh, in New York and ended up getting a job in Buffalo, which as somebody from New York, he had that myopia that he didn't know that New York state went beyond say Albany, <laughs> literally had to go look at a map, see where Buffalo was, but he liked the job and we moved there when I was three. So I spent my, all my childhood and formative years in Buffalo. Well, Glenn, we're, we're going to get to your father a little bit more because you've posted some recent stuff about him and the Bills this year. But uh, as a kid growing up, uh, obviously, he was a sports fan. And uh, is that where you got your love of sports as a kid? You know, I made my father a fan more than he made me a fan. Um, my dad was a fan. of He was a boxing fan. So some of my earliest memories are that he would let me stay up late on Friday night to watch Gillette Cavalcade of Sports Boxing. Right. I'm a, I'm like five years old, falling asleep <laughs> on the couch. And he's like, you know, encouraging me to watch the boxing with him. Um, he was a baseball fan being from New York, but he wasn't a football fan. And when I was seven years old, I turned on the TV and there was this football game and guys jumping all over each other. And, and it just seemed like the most magnificent thing. So I asked him and begged him to get tickets. We got tickets to go to my first Buffalo Bills game when I was nine, and um, he became a fan after that. I started playing hockey in my neighborhood when I was, whatever, 10, 11 years old. Uh, I dragged him to some Buffalo Sabre games. He became a fan after that. So I'm proud to say I made my father a fan more than he made me a fan. Nice. So you ended up going to Boston University. I'm assuming you majored in journalism. Did you know as a teenager, you wanted to do something in, you know, sports writing or journalism? 
No, actually, I started like my father. I started out as an art student, uh, and I got accepted to BU as an art student. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and originally went there for that. Um, I switched when I was a freshman to be a film student, and then I realized that most people who graduated with a degree in film were starving. Um, not the journalists were doing that great, but it was also I I entered college back when it was the Watergate era, and it was the whole Woodward and Bernstein part was all very exciting and very sexy to me. I took a couple of courses in journalism and I ended up graduating with a, a dual degree in journalism and history. Interesting. So you, you took that and you headed to Florida, right? Got started in Florida with your first, uh, your first job. Yeah. Um, I had an internship uh, in summer in college at a newspaper called the Niagara Falls Gazette near my hometown. Um, and the editor of that paper ended up going down to Florida to work for the Gannett newspaper chain. And I reached out to him. And amazingly, newspapers were growing back then. They were hiring. They were growing. They were thriving. And I got my first newspaper job on a 75,000 circulation paper called Cocoa Beach Today, which became the model for USA Today, which started up about 10 years after that. Hmm. Um and I, my wife, I dragged, I got married right out of college and dragged my young bride to the middle of nowhere in Florida. Um, but that's where we started. Then I went to the Fort Lauderdale News. Uh, I covered politics for the most part for them. I wrote uh, special investigations, didn't do any sports in those days. I was a, I was a news guy. Um, and then I, I don't want to jump the story more than you want, but I ended up going to the Detroit Free Press from there. Well, speaking of which, Glenn, and forgive me for showing this, but uh, you had hair. You had yeah. hair, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, look at that, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do in Detroit? What were you uh, covering for the free press? So I got hired to go to the Detroit free press as, uh, originally as the education writer. I covered schools, um, city of Detroit public schools, suburban schools, colleges, I basically covered education for the whole state for the, it, it was, it's kind of a statewide paper. So I, I did that. I, I liked it a lot. It was different from what I had done, but I really enjoyed the reporting on that. Um, I went from that to being a political writer there. I covered a lot of campaigns for them um, statewide and some presidential stuff. And then um, I ended up being on a special projects team and I kind of burned out on the hard news. Um, hmm. I just, I was writing a lot of depressing stories. I did a long investigation on sex criminals, which just really started to get into my mind. Uh, I did a, a long-term project on slumlords and I, I needed a break. And the sports editor was a good friend of mine, a guy named Joe Distelheim. Actually, the poor guy just passed away a couple months ago. And I was just having coffee with him one day and telling him that, you know, I'm really feeling burned out. And he said, I'll create a job for you in sports. Come on over to sports and we'll find something for you to do. So that's what wow. I did. Wow. Well, uh, you mentioned your wife, uh, your young wife at the time, Judy. And uh, I have to still ask young. you, I guess still young. Uh, and I guess you have a couple uh, boys. Uh, oh, look so at I, that. I, I, look at I, that. Good looking couple. There you go. So I have to ask, Glenn, what was uh, Judy thinking when you went from Fort Lauderdale to Detroit? She felt it was closer to her home. Um, you know, it's funny. We lived in Florida. My wife's from Boston and I'm from Buffalo. Uh, I met her in college in Boston and we lived in Florida, but Florida never seemed the place that we would settle. It was, um, really transient. Um, it just didn't feel like home. I missed winter, believe it or not. Actually, I missed fall more than winter, but I missed seasons. And I think she felt the same way. Um, Detroit was a bigger, better newspaper and she knew that and you know what we spent six years in Detroit and we really liked it I know what it's got such a bad reputation but we bought our first house in Detroit our two kids were born in Detroit um we made a real go she she got a good job in Detroit we made a real go of it we liked it there and then in uh, 1986 you ended up at the Philadelphia Inquirer covering sports business how did that come about um, well, that's what I did in Detroit. When I moved to sports, you know, I didn't cover a team I covered. Basically, I covered all the stuff in sports that none of the sports writers wanted to write about the labor issues and the drug issues and the trials and all that, which I liked. I mean, that was that was the stuff that was the background where I came from. 
Um, I was covering a trial in Pittsburgh in 1986. There was a guy, I remember the guy's name was Curtis Strong, and it, he was selling drugs. He was a um, like clubhouse, clubhouse caterer, and he was selling drugs, cocaine, to a bunch of players in the clubhouse. Uh, he got busted, and then he, he gave out all the players' names, and it was Lonnie Smith and Keith Hernandez, and was big stars in baseball. This is a big trial. If you ever cover a trial, you go in the first day and wherever you sit is pretty much where you're going to sit throughout the whole thing. I think it was like a two week trial. I sat next to a woman who wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Her name was Lucinda Fleeson. Great name. And so I sat next to her the second day and I think we went out to lunch and, you know, just you kind of strike up this short term friendship when you're both covering the same assignment. I went back to Det I went back to Detroit. Um, she told the editor of the Inquirer about me, and a few months later, actually two days after my son was born and three days after we moved into a new house, the Philadelphia <laughs> Inquirer called me and ended up offering me a job. <laughs> the timing couldn't have been worse, but it, I'm thrilled it all worked out. <laughs> it, it always seems to work out that way, doesn't it? Well, so you're there for just, uh, well, I guess it's seven years, but we have our numbers right. Seven years later, you are... Uh, voted or named the best sports writer in Philadelphia by Philadelphia Magazine. Uh, you come a long way in a in a short time. Uh, the fix was in. I bribed those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then right after that, you leave uh, the Inquirer and you go to WIP. You've, you've spoken often about uh, your respect for Angelo Catali, the job he does. You mentioned Tom Bigby, who just recently passed. Uh, tough guy to work for, but, uh, you know, very successful. So uh, tell us about uh, your decision to leave the paper and go to radio. So the way that came about was was this. Um, when we were at the, uh, at, at the Inquirer, I'm watching um, cable one night. Uh, I forget what channel it was. And there was a show from Chicago called Sports Writers on TV which was a, a bunch of old Chicago Tribune sports writers sitting around a table talking sports. This is before ESPN did. This is before anybody did it. And I thought, we could do that. And so I got together, um, Angelo and Al and Jason Stark, and um, we went to Prism, and we convinced them that we could do a TV show, which became the great sports debate. So we're doing that, and it's a lot of fun, and it's just four – Jack there. Hey, nice work. Boy, and look at that guy on the right. We won't talk about the guy on the right. <laughs> well, whatever. But yeah, so there it is. There, there's me in my in my youth. Um, WIP starts up and Al Morganti um, goes to WIP. And I'm sorry, I'm going the wrong way. There we go. Al Morganti goes to WIP and says, you guys need programming. How about we do a one hour show every morning where we'll have a bunch of guys from the Inquirer just kind of rotate in and do the show. Um, it became clear quick enough that Angelo was the best of the four of us. I mean, he just had a natural talent for it. But he did it. I did it. Jason Stark did it. Mike Missinelli. We just kind of, it would be two of us a day. And, you know, I would have two days one week and three days the next. When WIP started to grow and the guy you mentioned, Al, uh, excuse me, Tom Bigby got in charge, he knew he had something there. And what he knew was, Sports rate, sports talk radio was a fairly new medium. 24 hour was there was always sports talk on the radio, but the guys who wrote for the newspaper had two things that they could do. They could tell a story because that was what we all did. We, you know, we wrote stories that we could tell a story and we had some degree of credibility because we were out there. We were in locker rooms. We interviewed people. We, we kind of had established ourselves. We weren't some guy just walking off the street saying I can do radio. So one by one, he brought us over. First, Angelo, who did the show with Tom Brookshire, the morning show. Angelo is still doing that show 30, however many years later. Yeah. Um, then he brought over Al Morgani to be Al's sidekick, to Angelo's sidekick, and Al's brilliant at it, always has been. Mike Missinelli went over. Um, and then they wanted to, Jody McDonald was doing the show by himself after Bill Campbell retired, and they wanted it to be a two-man show. And so I got the offer, which was a really good time for me to get the offer because having done newspaper writing for 15 years, I was, I was really ready for a career switch. It came for me at a really good time. Well, I have to ask you, even though we're going to get to this a little bit later in some more detail, 
anywhere in the back of your head at this point was there beer? (laughs) (laughs) Only in the fridge. (laughs) I saw you sip it on. I saw you sip it on that, and I thought, well, I wonder at what part of this story did beer come into play? So this this is the uh, the lighting's not great. Conchock and Brewing Company heaps of green tonight. So yeah, Um, no, I listen. I've always been a, a beer drinker, but. Uh, back in the 90s, I, uh, it, it was, wasn't even a dream in my mind. I didn't have enough money to lose back then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So at WIP, you, you did team up with Jody McDonald, Mac and Mac. You partnered with Anthony Gargano for a bit. You worked evenings for a while. You did a great segment on there that I remember, The Movie Club for Men, which yeah. I guess led to some of your books, this great book right here. The Book yeah. of Sports yeah. Movies, a terrific piece. Uh, I think I've seen only about 45 out of the 100 movies in there. I got to get on the, the stick and get moving. Yeah, I mean, the um, that book was to get people to see more of those movies. You know, I, I just watched The Sandlot and The Bad News Bears, the original, in yeah. the last two years. So I'm getting there slowly. Oh, okay. Good. But in the early 2000s, you teamed up with this guy, Ray yeah. Dinger. And I don't think either of you know exactly when it started. I've seen 2002, I've seen 2003, I've seen 2004. But at some point, you guys teamed up and really hit it off. And you, you explained before, but it's like two guys sitting there talking about sports. How is that so successful? Because it's not work. So the way that show started was I was doing um, after I was doing uh, drive time afternoons with Anthony Gargano and. The station needed to make a switch, not so much to our show, but because Howard Eskin and Mike Missanelli were working together and somebody was going to die. And <laughs> yeah. so they needed to break up that pair. And in breaking up that pair, they kind of shifted around a lot of shows and they put Mike Missanelli on with Anthony, which means they had to find something for me. So they put me on in the evenings, which was fine. I actually enjoyed it a lot. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good show. I got really good callers. Um, smart guys driving home is the way I would describe my callers on that show. Um, but it also meant I had to work one weekend day. Um, and I got to choose. They, Tom Bigby was the program director. I think he felt bad for me. And he said, listen, you choose whatever shift you want to work on the weekend, and that's hmm. fine. So I said, I'll work with Ray. Uh, I knew Ray a little bit from when I was a newspaper guy. We covered some stories together. I mean, we weren't friends, but we were friendly. Um, and I just knew what a treasure he was. And so that part was easy, wanting to work with Ray. The chemistry part, and I agree with you, we really do have a natural chemistry. And it's in part because we're friends, but I think the friendship has grown out of the chemistry as much as the other way around. I don't know that I can deeply analyze it except to say I never feel like it's work. And I never feel the sense, and you get this in radio. What are we going to talk about in the next segment? What if this doesn't work? What are we going to do? How do we attract calls? I don't worry about it. I just, you know, for Ray, it's, well, he doesn't drink coffee either. But for Ray, it's <laughs> getting together over a, a bar stool with, a, with a, a Diet Coke in your hands. And for me, it's one of these or in the morning, a cup of coffee. And we just go. Listen, I do put a lot of planning into the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like we just... You know, radio is not as easy as you just turn on your microphone and, and you go. Uh, although that's what it's supposed to sound like when you're doing it right. That's what the listener is supposed to think. But I, I put a lot of planning into what we're going to do. And then I let Ray be the smart guy. <laughs> well, and, and I can tell you, Glenn, from being a, a listener and a fan of the show, it sounds exactly like that. It, it sounds like a couple guys sitting around drinking a couple cold beers and as a as a fan we feel like we could sit there with you guys doing the same thing that's that's come across as a fan yeah and that's and that's the whole idea is that as you said so well it's a couple guys sitting around drinking beer and as a listener you're invited to just to eavesdrop or if you want to add to the conversation you're you know invited to call we probably don't take as many calls as other shows part of that is because we're only on twice a week for three hours, so we got a lot we got to get in. But, um, yeah, we appreciate how the audience responds. Getting back to the books, you've authored or co-authored numerous books, several children's books even, which I wasn't really aware of. Um, sports books like the Great Philadelphia Fan Book with Anthony, the Great Philadelphia Sports Debate with Anthony or Angelo Cataldi, and the Great 
book of Philadelphia sports lists. Another one that I happen to have right here, autographed by you personally. Yeah, but uh, you got the old ones. Book. Hold on, you got the new one. I got one of them here somewhere. Yeah, you got to get the new edition that Big Daddy and I did uh, right at the end of 20, well, right before the pandemic, right at the end of 2018. I do need the new one. That is correct. Um, any new books in the works? You got anything coming up? You know, here's the shame of it. It's harder and harder to sell books these days. Um, mm. The one with Big Daddy was nice because the publisher approached us. They could just said, you know, we like this book that you guys did in 2006. Just redo the thing. And that was easy and that was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to do another movie book. And in fact, I had a partner on it, um, the film critic Carrie Rickey, who was so good for the Inquirer for so many years. And she and I wanted to write, catch this, the ultimate book of romantic comedies. Not my usual lane, but I like <laughs> good movies and I thought that would sell. We got a couple publishers to nibble, but we never really got an offer that would make it worth writing. And so we didn't. So I don't know the next time I'm going to write a book. It's a shame because I enjoy it, but I, I don't see it in the short term. Well, Glenn, tell us about the uh, the annual food hunt. Obviously, it didn't go too well with the pandemic uh, yeah. this year, but how did the food hunt come, come about? And uh, tell, tell us about that. So the food hunt came about um, the same way another feature I used to do called the movie club for men, which the, the, the sports movie book was an outgrowth of that. Um, when I moved from, uh, afternoons tonight to WIP in the mid two thousands, um, I realized that I'm on against the Phillies in the summer and I got to counter program something because I'm going to lose a lot of listeners to the Phillies. Fortunately for me, this is when the Phillies were no good. Um, so, you know, there was there were a good number of losing seasons back then. Uh, I think it was it started with the Terry Francona era. But I, I realized I got to be creative or I'm not going to get anything going. So I think it started just one night. I'm talking about pizza. Right. And I'm saying I got this treasure of a pizza place near me. And you know, everybody's got their favorite pizza place. And it was really just a throwaway. But all of a sudden, boom, 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 the lines start lighting up and people say and somebody says, like, if you don't eat at this slice pizza in South Philly, you're crazy. And somebody else said something else. Um, actually, I lied. It wasn't pizza. It was ribs. It was ribs. That was the first one. I'm talking about ribs. And I realized, like, I got something there and I got to do something with this. So I just decided I'm going to find the best ribs in the Delaware Valley and you're going to help me, you being the audience. Um, and this is really before a lot of social media. I think I had a small presence on Facebook, but before that, but boy, I got so many shows out of that. And then I, I, I probably went to, four, I, I would send my interns out to pick up ribs during the show. Uh, and then I was WIP had the Flyers game in those days, and I would be on before the game and between periods. And so the interns would come back. We'd eat the ribs during the first period. I do the intermission. And then the next day when there was no Flyers, I would talk about the ribs. <laughs> they pay me for this nonsense. <laughs> um, and we did a rib final uh, that year. And Ray was a judge and the late great John Chaney was a judge. And Bernie Perrant was a judge. And shockingly, it's not really hard. I got a couple. I think Todd Harriman's was one of my judges. It's not hard to get people to come to the studio when you say you're going to give them free ribs. <laughs> George Perrier, the owner of LeBec fan, was a judge. And he brought like these $200 bottles of wine, which were all <laughs> guzzling and eating ribs. And it was great. And so I did that. And then I thought, okay, next year, let's do another. Uh, became pizza. After about two or three years, uh, WIP's program director at the time was a guy named Andy Bloom. And he said, this is good, but we got to make this a public event. we got to take this out of the studio. So the first one we did uh, publicly was uh, the time I did cheesesteak. I never wanted to do cheesesteaks because everybody did them. But one year I did cheesesteaks. And there was a place down on South Street. And we said, you know, everybody come. You got free cheesesteaks. We got the celebrity judges. We did the show from there. I thought we'd get 50 people. We got like 600 people. <laughs> and from there, it grew and it grew and it grew and it became an annual thing. Um, I 
pick a different food every year. I didn't get to do it last year because of the pandemic. I literally had just started. I had gone to one restaurant before the pandemic shut it down. Depending on how things are this year, maybe I could do it in the summer. I don't know. I would love to get back to it. And what goes good with food? Beer. You're part owner of the Conchahawken Brewing Company. You do a TV show with uh, Joe Sixpack. What's yeah. brewing? There you guys are enjoying a couple of beverages. You have a good life, Glenn. Uh, how'd you get involved in the ownership of the brewery? So I have a friend. Uh, I'll give him a plug. His name is Andy Rosen. He's a dentist. Uh, been a buddy of mine since our kids were four-year-olds together, which is how I met him. And uh, like me, he's a he's a beer guy. He's he's a more high-level beer guy than I am. But we'd go out for beers, and uh, he'd always say, like, you know what? Someday we're going to start our own place. And I'd say, like, okay, good. Next round's on you. And then we go out six months later and say, you know what? Someday we're going we're gonna to start our own brewery. And I'd say, okay, you're crazy. And then one time we went out. Uh, I remember where we were. We had a place in media called Quotations, Good Beer Bar. And Andy says, guess what? We're going to start our own brewery. I found the guys. I found a good chunk of money. That was important. I certainly didn't have enough money to do it myself. Uh, I found uh, people who know how to run a business. Let's do it. I was pretty skeptical. Um, I figured there are a lot of good ways to lose my, my money, and I don't know that I needed another. <laughs> but we met with some really sharp people who knew about making beer, uh, selling beer, starting a restaurant. And um, there were about a dozen of us, and we bought in. I figured if nothing else, kind of like the cheers thing, I always had a, a, a spot at the bar, always had an empty stool ready for me, <laughs> if nothing else. And uh, we started with one place in Conshohocken. That was in 2013. And we've built it up to uh, five really solid restaurants, um, brew pubs. And uh, we, we built a new uh, brewing facility last year that tripled our capacity. We're adding cans all over the Delaware Valley. We're looking to expand we're in delaware now and um you know listen times are tough for everybody in the business but we're we're doing okay and we appreciate it well one thing you can get from your story as you're telling us your story is you you have a keen eye uh certainly for for business and and through your career so let's take that over to the sports side um favorite players guys that you your keen eye liked as you've covered philly sports for years well, it's going to be uh, not a lot of guys out of the box. Um, Reggie White was was one of my favorite people ever to deal with. Um, I came to the Inquirer right when um, the NFL shut down in 1987, and I covered that strike, and Reggie was the guy for the players. And Reggie was a treasure to talk to. I really liked him as a person, um, and I really liked him as, as a source, not that he would give me stuff that he wasn't supposed to give me, but just he was always available and he would always tell me the truth. Um, so I, I always liked him. I loved Charles Barkley. Um, Charles was refreshingly honest. And, you know, the thing about Charles, there are a lot of people in sport everywhere who try to convince you they're a good guy, but they're actually kind of a jerk. Charles <laughs> was almost the opposite of that. You know, Charles was a guy who... He was brash and he was loud and he made a couple of mistakes and people think he's jerk, but Charles was the nicest person. I'll just give you, a, I'll give you two quick Charles stories to tell you why he's my favorite. Used to be a uh, restaurant um, out on Lancaster Avenue in the main line called Al E. Gators. And I was there. Um, okay. You know the place. Charles so, did a show there for a while. Is that right? Oh, yeah, he did a, did a show, a show there. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you said you did a show. Yeah, Charles did no, a show Charles. for a while. Yeah. So it was a place you could bring your family and it was also a place that had a decent bar and so on. And I'm there one time with my wife and um, I knew Charles, but he, he didn't he didn't see me there. There's a, a woman there with a table full of eight year olds and one's having a birthday party. And the woman comes up. Charles is at the bar with his wife, a couple of friends. The woman comes up. It's very respectful. She says, Charles, it's my son's birthday. If you could just come over and say hi to the kids, I just know they'd be so thrilled. And Barkley goes, where is this boy? What's going on? He starts being really loud and funny. And he goes over to the table. And goes, Who's the birthday boy? <laughs> and he, he gives the kid noogies. And he sits down at the table. 
And I tell you, 20 minutes later, he's got one of those pointy hats on and he's singing. And all these eight-year-old boys are like, right? And meanwhile, Charles' wife is back at the bar, like, you know, <laughs> coming back. But it just was such a lovely thing to do. And I know those kids who are now, whatever, in their mid-20s probably still remember it. Other story. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. No, I'm in New Orleans, excuse me, covering the uh, NCAA finals one year. WIP sent us down there, uh, Anthony Gargano and I, for the NCAA finals. Very cool. And it's the airport coming home. And um, turns out Charles Barkley's in the same gate as I am. Um, and a woman comes up to him and says, um, Charles, um, Charles is talking to, to uh, Jim Gray and Kenny Smith. Right. And they're just, you know, passing on waiting for the plane. A woman comes up again, very polite, older woman, right? Probably 70 years old, recognize him and says, you know, Charles, I just, uh, again, if, if I could get your autograph. And he goes, so what's your name? And she goes, uh, you know, Phyllis. And he goes, where are you from? She goes, Omaha. I said, so Phyllis from Omaha, Jim Gray and I are having this argument. And he says this, and I want to know what you think. And she goes, um, okay. <laughs> And, and obviously now Charles Barkley is holding court in an airport terminal. So everybody's coming over, right, to see what's going on. And Barkley, who doesn't have to be bothered by anybody, is pulling everybody in. And he's saying, <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Sir, you. And he just some random guy, like, what do you think? And, and he's just the nicest guy. So those, those would be two of my, of my absolute favorites. Awesome. All right. We're just about out of time. We've got a couple of things we didn't mention. Uh, you were inducted into the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame in 2016. Congratulations on that. We mentioned your dad, Marv. Here's a picture of Marv a couple yeah, of years ago. The dad. Bills fan. Hopefully he'll stick around for a lot more years and get to see that Bills Super Bowl title. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They got a real quarterback. And Glenn, the whole uh, basis of this thing with you, our little tell us your story thing is, what you and Ray have been doing since last March when the pandemic hit you and Ray have been doing your weekly, tell us your story. Um, your guests have included guys like George Foreman, Jimmy Rollins, Larry Anderson, Jay Wright, Jeremy Roenick, Eric Allen, Dick Vermeil, Billy Cunningham, pretty impressive lineup. And you got another great one this weekend, don't you? We do for, you know, we decided for the Super Bowl, we needed to get a great football guest. So on Saturday at noon, Brian Dawkins will be our guest on tell us your story. I can promise that's going to be a great one. I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, by the way, Glenn, who's going to win the Super Bowl? I think the Chiefs are going to win it going away. I hope it's a close game. Um, as a Philadelphian, I can't root for Tom Brady, that's for sure. And, I, you know, I got a bit of a soft spot for Andy. So I think, I think the Chiefs will win, and I certainly think they'll, I think they'll win by at least a touchdown. Good, since I may have wagered some money on that happening. <laughs> Finally, final question. Your initial impression of this guy, Nick Sirianni, the uh, new Eagles coach. Very nervous, uh, very young. Um, I hope he can command a room full of players. I don't know that. Um, he comes recommended by a lot of good people. So wait and see. I'll tell you, the, the biggest concern I have, and I'll give it to you quick, is I don't mind a young coach, and he's a young coach. Dick Vermeil was a young coach and succeeded. Andy Reid was a young coach and succeeded. But both Dick Vermeil and Andy Reid had a couple of older guys on their staff. Mm -hmm. Dick Vermeil had a guy named Sid Gilman, who was a real guru of the of the passing game. Uh, Andy Reid had Jim Johnson. I worry this entire staff is a bunch of guys in their 30s and 20s, and I just feel like I would prefer if there was somebody who'd been there before who could tell him what he doesn't know. That's my biggest concern. I'm with you. One final question for me. Sixers are in first place. Flyers are in first place. Somebody going to win a championship here in 2021? <laughs> sure. I've only said <laughs> yes for the last 20 years, and I've been right twice. So why not again? Oh, Sounds good. All right, Glenn. Well, hey, thanks a lot for doing this. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We enjoyed the heck out of it, and uh, glad you took the time to do it with us. Thanks. You guys have a great show. Thanks so much. My pleasure. All right. Thanks, Thank Glenn. you, Glenn. All right, Jim. Let's talk insurance. If you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA. 
You got that right, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoy, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what is most important to you and your family. Give Dave a call. He's at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The number is 610-430-0700. Again, 610-430-0700. And you know what? I need a little Willie Nile fix right about now. Hey, everybody. It's Willie Nile here, and you're listening to Chet and Bill on Silly Press Box Radio. You lucky people. Yay. You got to like Willie. Got to like Glenn, too. That was That was a lot of fun, Chet. That was a blast. I hope Glenn enjoyed it. I think he did. So yeah, maybe, maybe what we need to do is figure out every so often how to steal that concept and get a couple more people that are <laughs> willing to sit with us. That, that's pretty. We'll good. have to give it a different title, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the we've got the owners. You know, we've we've done them. So uh, good, good uh, stuff. Well, hey, uh, speaking of good stuff, we we said about the Sixers. They opened our couple uh, couple games ahead in the Eastern Conference for fifteen and six. Ten and one at home, just five and five on the road, Chet. Uh, it's early, but it's a nice place to be sitting. Does that five and five on the road concern you at all? Well, it's about it's even better than they were last year, and it was a concern then. But here's the deal: they had a relatively early schedule or an easy schedule early on, but in the past week or so. They've uh, got a couple of real impressive wins. One at home over the defending champion, L.A. Lakers. They almost blew it at the end, but they did hang on. Tobias hitting the uh, game winner in the closing seconds. And then on Sunday, a road win over Indianapolis down there. They came back from a 20-point deficit. I think they were down by 14 or 16 early in the fourth quarter. Ended up winning by nine. And what was most impressive was the fact that they did it without your favorite player, Bill, Joel Embiid who, by the way, was just named NBA's Eastern Conference Player of the Month. Even though he missed five of the 21 games, he was the Player of the Month. Doc Rivers, the Eastern Conference Coach of the Month. So things are looking up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, as I've said, and you're right, he's my favorite player. But uh, <laughs> he can play. There, there's no doubt he can play, and that's what that's the troubling part of it. But good honors, good place to be, certainly 21 games in, to be sitting here uh, in in – the top spot is where you want to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting as we get through the next segment of the season, if you will. So he's played 16 out of the 21 games. I'll tell you, if he can play, you know, 53 out of the 72 that they're playing this year, and then is a beast in the playoffs, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, but of the 16 and they played 21, that's five, and they've lost four of the five, right? Yes, that yes. is correct. So that's the that's the problem as we move a little further along, unless it. It's not a problem, and you can continue to be on top and get him as load management or whatever we're even talking about these days. Um, you know, I figure he'll be huge again tonight, um, and then he'll sit another game or two. <laughs> they, they should trounce Charlotte tonight. We'll see if that happens. you got to win these games that you're supposed to win. And, again, kudos to Tobias Harris, who not only hit the game-winning shot uh, last week against the Lakers, but he's been playing terrific ball of late. If they have an all-star game or if they name an all-star team, at least for the East, he should get strong consideration. And he, he's even campaigning a bit for himself, and he is having a very good season. So happy to see that. Yeah, one one final thing on the Sixers. Uh, you and I were actually texting a little bit during the game, the last game, uh, and you were expressing your uh, unhappiness with Ben Simmons. Uh, but then he turns around and ends up with a triple double at the end of the night. It's kind of hard to complain when you end up with, with the results he ends up with. And that's the, the key is the W. That's what you really want. Some of his triple doubles are kind of iffy. You know, he gets like 11 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Okay. I mean, it's nice. It helps. But when you consider Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook were, you know, getting 25 points and, you know, 12 assists or whatever, when they were getting their triple doubles, Kevin Durant, you know, it's, it's a different player. I would love to see Ben score 18, 20 points a game instead of the, you know, 12 or 13. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak to Russell Westbrook, but don't put Ben Simmons in a sentence with Oscar Roberts. Oh, that's my point. Well, well, that's my point. You're not putting many people in a sentence with Oscar Robertson now. Yeah. Okay. As we mentioned, the Flyers playing well. Uh, they're on top of the Eastern Division. They have two big games starting tonight at in 20 minutes against Boston. Uh, didn't fare too well against the Bruins last week. 
They need to win at least one of these two games. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just to build some confidence right here, uh, they, they have struggled with the Bruins, as you said. The good news is these two games are at the Wells Fargo Center tonight and Friday. So, yeah, I would love to see them win at least one of those, maybe get three out of four points at the very least. And then they have a couple of road games down against uh, Washington, the Capitals. So, all in all, four big games over the next week. I want to see them come away with at least a split, ideally get, you know, maybe five out of those eight points. Good to see Carter Hart playing well again. Good to see Joel Farabee Far with the hat trick the other day. Travis Konechny getting benched on Saturday. So uh, Elaine Vigneault, again, doing that to let guys know that they got to play like they're supposed to. Uh, I like the coach a lot, Vigneault, as you know. Yeah, well, and, you know, those two overtime wins, big wins, uh, you know, they, they didn't play great in those games. They got the win. Uh, that's where you need to be also. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to have a little something going on, if you will. You know, you just watch them and you think, hmm, they're not playing well, but guess what? They won again tonight. Uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, getting the W. And we got some bad news today. I guess Sam Carcidi, I guess, wrote about it. Morgan Frost might be out for the whole season now. He gets in, you know, one game and gets hurt, and now he's going to perhaps miss the whole season. So that, that's a shame for Frost. Yeah, separated shoulder, I guess, that's going to need surgery, and it looks like it's, uh, it's a long-term thing, at least as far as this year goes. Bill! Uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> It's random chat time. And you know what, Chad? I, I, I have finally gotten over what happened two weeks ago <laughs> since you soft-touched soft it last week. So what do you have for us this week? Well, let me see if I can find my background information here, Bill. Um, Got to get all set up to go. There we go. All right. Yeah, uh, I, I need a break from the serious sports talk. So that's why we throw in the random chat segment right now. So... When we had Mike Sealski on with us last week, it was right after he had proclaimed on Facebook during the day that the theme song to The Jeffersons was the greatest ever TV sitcom. And there was no doubt about it. Well, it got me thinking, what are my all-time favorites? That one, All in the Family, The Beverly Hillbillies. How about Friends? Friends, a great show with a nice, catchy opening theme. Well, all in all, Bill, I considered about 50 of them. And the Brady Bunch and the Cheers opening theme, you know, everybody knows your name. They just missed the cut. But you're probably wondering, what are my top 10? Well, Bill, I'm glad you asked. All right, my top 10 TV sitcom theme songs. And, of course, we'll go in reverse order. Number 10 on the list, well, that would be the one that our pal Mike Sealski claims is the indisputable very best TV sitcom theme. Well, I'm disputing it, Mike. The Jeffersons moving on up. Good song, but number 10, that's all. Number nine is the theme to a current animated classic, Family Guy, a funny as hell show with a great theme song to boot. Seth MacFarlane is a genius. Number eight on the list, uh, the theme to a show we all, well, most of us from a certain age group anyway, watched back in the late 1970s, the show with Vinnie Barbarino and Horshack and the other Sweat Hogs, the very funny Welcome Back Cotter with a super theme song sung by John Sebastian. Seventh on the list, the opening theme to that mysterious and spooky, all together ooky gang, the Adams Family. Number six, one I mentioned earlier, Friends. Yeah, they were always there for us, well, for 10 years anyway. And the song by the Rembrandts became one of 1995's best-selling singles. All right, my top five. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Yep, that silly little TV show, believe it or not, lasted just two seasons on NBC, but it had an incredibly catchy theme song and made big stars out of that thrown together for television quartet. Number four, the song about a three hour tour that opened Gilligan's Island every week. Although in season one, the song didn't actually mention the professor or Marianne by name, trust me. Third on my list, The Ballad of Jed Clampett, the memorable song that was the opening theme to the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, he was shooting at some food when up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Number two, the theme to the show that debuted 50 years ago last month, All in the Family, sung by stars Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton. Of course, the song being Those Were the Days. Loved it. And number one, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. This might not be yours, but hey, I still, to this day, sing this one frequently. Green Acres is the place to be. Far living is 
Thanks for taking this trip down TV sitcom memory lane. Whether you agree with all of my choices, hope you enjoyed it anyway. Well, hey, Ted, I got a couple the, that I, I'm surprised you didn't get. First of all, you made it sitcom, so Hawaii 5.0 was out of the mix, That right? right. Because that wouldn't be included. How about Big yeah. Bang Theory as a current, uh, a current one? Well, Bill, here's the deal. Um, this was the edited version of this week's Random Chat. I'm going to put out the six-minute-long director's cut about my favorite TV sitcom themes in the next day or two. Big Bang is one of the many that that made the honorable mention category. Uh, there were so many, but yeah, Big Bang is one of the very few over the last 25 years that actually still uses a theme song. So that's a good one by the Bare Naked Ladies. Absolutely, I consider that one, and it is in the, uh, the second 10. All right, how about Happy Days? Not on my list. Uh, I know a lot of people loved the Happy Days tune, but eh, didn't do it for me. Laverne and Shirley, that theme didn't do it for me. Um, there's a whole bunch of instrumental ones, too, like the Andy Griffith whistling theme, which, by the way, wasn't him singing or whistling. It was somebody else doing the whistling, just so you know. A uh, lot of great ones, but uh, you, you'll see these six-minute-long director's cut in the next day or two. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> I, I like that one. I like that a whole lot better than the candles. <laughs> the candle, yes. Thank you. For sure. All right. Let's <laughs> give a shout-out to our partners over at the Edge of Philly Sports Network and their shows. You can check out the Broad Street Bully Podcast. Drew, Jeff, and Doyle talking Flyers hockey. That's a great show and uh, actually pretty funny, too. Bird's IQ every Monday at 7 p.m. with Kyle and Eric Quinn talking Eagles football. Edge of Philly Sports Live. Joe, Freddie, and Big Al cover four for four and so much more Philly sports. Watch them live Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And join Tom Kelly and the gang at the Patterson Avenue Fanatics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. They're talking all things Philly sports as well. You can check out all the shows at www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, and like buttons. And as always, share with your family and friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the EOP newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays and uh all, all it takes is a click of a button to sign up, and you'll get it in your email. And by the way, our lacrosse man, Kevin, told me today that uh, there won't be a Philadelphia Wings season today. Is that right? They're disbanding, the, the, or at least for this year. There will be no season, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, they canceled the season uh, today. The whole league, for, yeah. Yeah, for the whole league. So that, that kind of stinks. And I it know does. Kevin was kind of fired up about that so because uh, he was going to get back to doing his shows and all that stuff. So, hmm. All right, Chet. Great. Yes, guest that is a bummer Glenn, for all the fans. Great guest tonight in Glenn Macnow. And uh, so who do we have coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Well, here's the deal. Um, if all goes well, we're going to have Freddie Burns joining us. But I think I just saw something today that it might be his birthday next Wednesday. And if that's the case, he might not be available. But if uh, Fred's available, we're going to have Fred joining us. But here's the other one, Bill. Um we have a first-time visitor joining us. I know you like our first-timers, and I'm looking forward to this one, too, because he is a guy with a very interesting job. He's also got a famous father that we've gotten to know pretty well over the years. In fact, we mentioned his famous father earlier today in this show. It happens to be, if I can find the picture, this guy right here joining us, the son of Ray Dinger, David Dinger. He works for NFL Films. He did some memorable work in covering the Birds' Super Bowl 52 victory three years ago this week. Yeah, David Dinger will be joining us, and uh, we got a lot to talk to him about, so that's going to be a whole lot of fun. I'm telling you, I am really excited about that. I didn't know about this, so for, for you viewers, I didn't know about it, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, David's job at Super Bowl 52 was Nick Foles, right? Yeah, so it was him who had uh, Nick wired up and was, you know, there to get the shot of Nick saying, Philly, Philly, you want Philly, Philly? All of it. So. Yep, yep, the huddle, the everything. That was uh, David yep. Didinger's job. And, uh, man, that's that's going to be a lot of fun because I'm sure there's great memories going to come from that being an Eagles fan. So, uh, yeah, cool stuff. I was originally going to have him on tonight, if possible, because it's the third anniversary of the Super Bowl tomorrow. But he's actually shooting the Flyers game tonight. So he's not available this evening, but he is available next Wednesday. And we will be talking to David live. And that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Is he going to be in Tampa on Sunday? 
That's a good question. Uh, I understand he's covered some 20 Super Bowls, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he were there because that seems to be his job. So uh, he's not that old. So if he's covered 20, I'm pretty sure he's going to be there again, although the pandemic could change things. I don't know. Okay. Hey, we have a quick question here from PJ that I'm going to throw up. Will will Bill be one of the 25,000 fans (laughs) at Super Bowl? Unfortunately, I am not. Uh, there, I think it's there's 20, 22,000, I believe is the right number. 7,500 of them are going to uh, medical uh, emergency responders that have had the vaccine. And uh, interestingly enough, Chet, uh, not to get too far off the subject here, but the uh, the people in Tampa are, are in a struggle. You know, uh, they, they hosted the Super Bowl, uh, didn't know this pandemic was going to happen. They lost say three quarters of the people that were going to come to town to do stuff probably lost 90% of the people. Well, then the fact that they're in the Super Bowl, they lost the other half of the people. So, you know, the, the opponents not coming, those people not coming. So right. the, the town for all the money they spent and all the things they do and all the impact they were expecting is getting hit really hard. There's no radio row. There's none of the sponsors are here. Um, it's a big deal and a big hit for Tampa, which looked like it was going to be, you know, a, a coup for them not working out so well. No, um, but hey, life goes on and they'll get through this. Yeah, and uh, let's just jump ahead and talk about that. Who you well, like? I didn't I didn't hear what you said because you froze on me. Oh, and you froze on me. So uh, Tampa Bay, Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Who do you like this Sunday in Super Bowl 55, Bill? Well, I'm going to tell you, um, I I think Kansas City is going to win the game, but I'll say what I have said since we've been doing this for a bunch of years. I'm not going against Tom Brady. It has nothing to do with Tampa Bay uh, or anything like that and me being down here. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, yeah, I, I'm not betting my money against him. Well, yeah, I won't be shocked if uh, Mr. Brady gets it done somehow. But the bet here, right here, is that Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and company do win their second straight Lombardi trophy. And by the way, if they win by more than three and a half points, that would make me very happy. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We'll leave that right there. Okay. One other thing I wanted to hit on, Chet. Philly's... uh... As we said, they, they brought DD back in. They've got JT. They picked up a couple more arms. So I have just two questions for you. Uh, first of all, you happy with the job that Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold have done uh, this offseason? And second, do the Phils have enough to compete for an NL East title? Kind of hard to tell when we're, uh, we're sitting here in a snowstorm, or you are. Yeah. Uh, well, things are a lot brighter than they were a couple of weeks ago, at least with JT back in the fold and DD as well. So that's good news. Kudos to Dave Dombrowski and Sam, who I totally forgot about Sam fold. Uh, kudos to those guys for that. Can they compete? Well, I don't think they can unless they add another quality starter. And I don't know if they're going to do that. They've gotten some, you know, peripheral guys for, uh, maybe competing for a fifth spot. They have beefed up the bullpen, as we discussed last week. That's got to help. I mean, they've got to be better in the bullpen. They can't possibly be as bad as they were last season. Um, Can they compete? Uh, If if everybody stays healthy and they figure out maybe who the center fielder is, they can, but only if everything goes right. Well, we'll see, because I don't know that they're a whole lot better. They got to be better in the bullpen, but otherwise I'm not sure they're any better. It's the same team. They've finished seven games out of first place last year. Um, you're still going to see that Vinny Velasquez running out there as a three or four starter. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't see them being a whole lot better, but I hope, I hope. They well, and, and you hope that Reese Hoskins has, you know, a true bounce back year in this full season. And you hope that Alec Bohm continues to get better as he plays his first full season. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that makes them better having him in the lineup, I think, but uh you know, and I'm still eating the words on that uh, Reese Hoskins winning the MVP when they had Bryce Harper. That, <laughs> yeah, you that, did say that. That didn't, uh, that didn't stay well, did it? No, it did not. All right. One other quick question. Uh, jump over to Nick Sirianni. Uh, you know, we heard of another presser with him and uh, his team expectations, player expectations. Uh, how's that sitting with you? That was dreadful. <laughs> it was tough to watch. 
I mean, first of all, his lead-in, Jeffrey Lurie talking for 22 minutes, which was totally ridiculous. He needed to speak for maybe three minutes, say, you know, Doug's gone. We got a new guy. We're excited about him. Here he is. But no, he went on for 22 or 23 minutes. It was horrible. And then you would think that he was on the job, you know, for eight days. They would have coached him up. Clearly, they did not because he did not know how to answer the questions that he knew he was going to get asked. It did not go well. It doesn't mean he's going to be a bad coach, but that was just an aber- an abomination. Yeah, well, it was. And uh, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the fact that everybody needs to start somewhere. Uh, starting in the Philadelphia sports media is not probably not the best place to start, but uh, the results will show if he wins games, those things will settle out a little bit. And if he doesn't, uh, well, there's been been a lot of others that have come and gone. And as Glenn said, uh, another issue potentially is the very young coaching staff. Uh, you know, guys, 27, 29, 32. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Anything else? Uh, well, we got to jump over and take a quick break and thank our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia for all the Philly teams and more. They have 11 line razzes, mystery boxes, and now a memorabilia shop. So check out their Facebook pages, like them or follow them. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room and PPCC 118 Raz Room Shop on Facebook. Anything else for you before we get to parting shots tonight? Let's wrap it up. Parting shot. You ready? Go. All right, Bill, it was three years ago Thursday, whoops, February 4th, 2018, that the Eagles went to their third Super Bowl and finally, finally got to hoist that Lombardi trophy. Remember that? Boy, have things changed since that unforgettable night. The Eagles regressed in the three seasons that followed, struggling to make the playoffs in 2018 and 19, and then suffering a disastrous four-win season in 2020. The guy you saw raising that trophy, Nick Foles, He's been with two teams since and has pretty much looked like a mediocre backup. The quarterback who played like an MVP in 2017 to help get them there, Carson Wentz, he just now had an awful year, got benched for the final month of the season, and is now said to be wanting out of town, although we don't know for sure because he hasn't said anything publicly for two full months. Oh, the Super Bowl winning coach, Doug Peterson, fired. Incredibly, the guy who has done a horrible job putting the team together Well, that would be Howie Roseman. He is still the GM, and it seems to have unending support from the team's owner. And forgive me, but with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie continuing in power, I'm not overly optimistic about the Birds returning to dominance anytime soon. Well, at least we have a coach now who's made us all feel better about things because of his assertiveness and his ability to take control of a situation. Maybe not. Bill, I'm concerned. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Hey, I have not a parting shot, Chet, but I promised you I would do something last week, uh, and I did. Uh, I couldn't get the the real one, but there you go. I told you about the Hank Aaron autographed jersey. There is the Hank Aaron autographed jersey. I had to take a photo of it because uh, I didn't wouldn't be able to get it on the screen, but there it is. That is very part, nice. That very is part nice. of the Furman collection. I love it. One of the old Tomahawk jerseys, too. How about that? That's a cool item. And again, we mentioned John Chaney. Rest in peace, coach. Uh, A great man and uh, so many fans and so many people who respected him and just loved him for all he did for black athletes and Temple University. Absolutely. And one final uh, comment comes from our man, Big John Roberts. We're going to put up there that today is referred to as the day the music died with uh, Buddy Holly. Big Bopper and Richie Valens. 1959, I believe, uh, February 3rd. Yep. 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 So thanks, John, for that. Uh, I'm surprised you missed that, Chet. Did you miss that? You know, we can't get everything in every week. I did know about it. I could have also mentioned that yesterday was Christy Brinkley's birthday, and she still looks beautiful. But we don't have time every week for all that. Uh, Wrap it up, got, Bill. Got to get to the important stuff. All right. <laughs> Let's thank tonight's special guest, Glenn Mack now. Our sponsors, the Iris Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester, Pennsylvania. 
For Jim Chechesko, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February 10th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook. Listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com or blocktalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. And I did check iHeartRadio, Jed, and sure enough, we are there. Yeah. Along with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the others. With that, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Let's go Sixers. Let's go Flyers. Happy trails to you. Till we meet. Love you.